Yes. Um, so when I got my job at ACS, I'm in the education division. So still thinking about students, still thinking about graduate students, still thinking about postdocs and how I can assist them in navigating through graduate school and navigating through their postdocs and ultimately deciding on where they want to go after. And mm -hmm. that was interesting to me because that was one of the biggest things that I struggled with. That last yeah. year of graduate school is an eye opener, especially when you're looking for a job, because it is mm -hmm. the one thing that we do not get any type of training on as graduate students. Exactly. And then exactly. I get this role here at the American Chemical Society that every freaking chemist knows about. And they have all of these sectors that do all of these different workshops for graduate students, for postdocs, things that I had never heard about before. And yeah. so now I'm just making it my business that while I'm in this road to help out as much as I can and to offer as much support as I can. What's up, everybody? It's the Don't Be Scared podcast. And I'm your host, Dr. J. This podcast is all about STEM education, all right? And once again, STEM is science, technology, engineering, and math. So if you're interested in any of these subjects, this is your podcast. Now, specifically during this podcast, we're going to be talking about careers, education, and any trends that we see happening in STEM education right now. All right. Uh, what's up, everybody? Uh, this is Don't Be Scared podcast, where we're, we are definitely interviewing the best and brightest future STEM leaders, okay? And today we got Dr. Milka Jackson joining us today. I need everybody to give it up for Dr. Jackson. Um, so uh, first off, uh, thank you for coming on the show um, and just being here, giving your advice for everybody. Um, so, uh, Milka, uh, as far as with your STEM background, um, can you just tell the people uh, about your background and uh, just to give a general introduction to everybody, let you know who you are? Hi, everyone. Um, as Dr. J said, I'm Dr. Milka Jackson. I received my bachelor's degree in biochemistry with a minor in English from the University of Mississippi. Followed by that, I went on to grad school at Louisiana State University, where I received my doctoral degree in chemistry with an emphasis in analytical chemistry. From there, I took a teaching postdoc at Radford University in Radford, Virginia, where I taught general chemistry courses as well as did a lot of administrative work and social science research that was focused more so on creating a sense of community for students in STEM by training faculty to use more inclusive pedagogies in their classrooms and also by giving the students science mentors to help navigate navigate as they matriculated through undergraduate. And from there, I landed in my current role, which is a program specialist within the education division of the American Chemical Society, where my role here is to coordinate workshops for postdoctoral scholars that are thinking of transitioning into academia, as well as heading our ACS career Kickstarter, wherein we go in and we speak to undergraduates, graduate students, and postdocs to give them tips about all four sectors of careers outside of academia. 
excuse me, along with academia, as well as to give them tips about postdocs and also provide them with career consultations wherein we would do mock interviews, we would check their resumes and their CVs, or just give them any advice that we can as STEM professionals. Okay. Hey, man. Thank you. Thank you. So, uh, quite a resume already. Uh, so, she's definitely doing a lot. Uh, so, I'm just curious, you know, you have biochemistry, like what exactly sparked you to even get into STEM? So I would say I got into STEM as a kid. Um, I was the one that had a microscope. I played around outside. I wanted to study the plants. I wanted to study bugs. I wanted to study people. And it started young. My mom worked in healthcare. So that influenced it a lot. So I liked to play around with people and what I could do to serve people. Mm -hmm. And it just carried me through. And by the time I got to high school, it really focused in on chemistry. So I got there. I took three years of chemistry courses before I went on to undergrad. Okay. And then when I got there, I started as a chemistry major and then transitioned into biochem. Because at the time, I went in and I knew I just wanted to be a medical doctor. And bio, the biochem route was more in line with going into medical school. Going in that route. And, and so... When you went to biochem, right, um, something something changed to where uh, you ultimately not deciding to go the medical route. Uh, what exactly ultimately led to you going, you know, getting your PhD in chemistry? Like what made you go to grad school after you graduated with your biochem? So it's not anything profound other than I really didn't give medical school the type of preparation. I didn't get myself the type of preparation I needed for medical school. So it was just all I heard growing up was, oh, you love science so much, you should be a doctor. And when people say Mm -hmm. doctor, they're automatically, you should be a medical doctor. And so that's where my focus went. I had family Mm -hmm. in healthcare. I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a doctor. But Mm -hmm. as time progressed, I realized that I wasn't really that interested in that area of science. So after going and playing over my MCAT twice, I sat down with my physical chemistry professor to map out other things that I could do. And ultimately, we decided on graduate school. And it was honestly the best choice I could have made. Yeah, okay, okay, cool, cool. Yeah, because very similar in that way. Um, so what what exactly made you like biochem? Because, you know, biochem, that's a lot. I even, I'm not even going to lie, guys. Like, I... Biochem was just tough, man. That was a tough one. I I just never got into it. What made you like biochem? Well, (laughs) full disclosure here. Okay, yeah, be honest. honest. I came in as a chemistry major, and I was looking at all the classes I would have to take, and as shocking as it may sound, I wanted to avoid all of the extra math. I only wanted to take chemistry classes. And so when I sat down with my advisor, I said, hey, well, you know, at the time I was a freshman doing this. Since I'm pretty sure I'm going to go to medical school anyway, I'll just switch over to the biochem track, which means I only have to take up to Cal 2 instead of going all the way through and taking linear algebra and all those other classes that I didn't want to take. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was a biochem, and then the crazy thing I did was turn around and take all the other chemistry classes as electives because they were not a part of the biochem degree. Mm. Um, So it was kind of weird. I wanted to get into chemistry, but I was trying to avoid other things that I probably should have stuck with in hindsight, but Mm. it worked out. 
So it wasn't just biochem. It was just like, oh, this is the way around that. And that's what I did. But that was freshman me thinking. Freshman you. Okay, so. Freshman you. What was what was the difference? Because I always like to hear like the evolution of the student. Because he's like you know freshman year is totally different from the senior year. So how exactly was senior year uh, different from your freshman year? What as far as just your mind state? In my freshman year, I came in and I was like, I just know I want to go to medical school. But when you get there and you learn about things like weed them out classes and stuff, mm-hmm. it, it changes your mindset a little bit. And I was like, oh, gosh, I don't want to go through that. So I'm just going to navigate the best way that fits for me. And I did that. Yeah. And I don't regret that part of my decision. But by my senior year, when I really started to sit down and really think about what it is I wanted to do, especially after I finally came to the realization that I really didn't want to go to medical school. My mindset was like, oh, well, maybe now, especially since I was seriously considering graduate school and Um, what that track would be like, I should have just stuck with my chemistry degree and took hmm. those extra classes. And I should have done research as an undergrad. That was something that, as weird as it sounds, was not promoted to just regular undergraduates unless you were in the honors college. Which, again, as a freshman, I was mad, and I, I can say that now, um, when I first got in, that I didn't get into the Honors College okay. because of my ACT score. But then yeah. my second semester of my freshman year, I did get invited to the Honors College, and I turned them down because I was being cocky. I was like, oh, they didn't think I was smart enough when I started, so I'm not yeah. going to join the Honors College. I'm already okay. doing well. I probably should have, thinking back, senior me and saying I should have accepted that invitation because students in the honors college were being exposed to research experiences Mm. which with me now knowing i wanted to go to medical school would have helped me a lot Mm. at the time so that was one of my biggest regrets okay and then talk about that with the research experience because you're right um uh, a lot of people don't even know that you can like get those research experiences it's usually like offered during the summer right um Mm -hmm. so uh, talk about like would you consider that, and this is just to like anybody uh, in this type of field, would you consider like research being a key role? If you're trying to even go grad school or medical school, just going uh, the next level. Would you, would you consider that like a key thing or what are you thinking about that? Definitely any type of research experience that you can do as an undergraduate, whether it's in the summers, whether it's during the school year, whatever you can do, take advantage of that because it always looks good to have it on your resume, whether you're going to go to graduate school or medical school, because it shows that you know how to work in a lab, you know, experimentation, you know how to follow instructions and you know how to produce a product. And that would be especially helpful to those who are interested in industry because it shows that you've done some of the things and they won't have to retrain you on it. You're coming in already with some level of expertise and it works in your favor in the long run. But this doesn't mean that you, you know, you can't do that same thing. If you don't do research, I mean, look at me. I went to graduate school and I did very well there. Um, So it's, it's all on the person. But I would definitely say conducting some type of research is a benefit got you regardless of your trajectory so um so yeah and you're exactly right um so to anybody out there who's in their senior year who hasn't necessarily gotten any research experience that's okay all right grass is going to take you with or without it all right they really look at the who you are as a person most schools right and and then talk about you know your experience when you went to undergrad to graduate school 
how was that? Was that a hard transition for you? Because being uh, no research prior, but now thrown into graduate school, we all know that graduate school is just basically research at the end of the day. So how, how was that? How was that transition for you? Well, transitioning into the school is it's always nerve wracking when you first start because you assume that every other person there has had research experience. Yeah. I figured that out during my first two weeks of orientation that that was not true. A lot of people coming in were just like me. They hadn't done any formal research in the lab. So it made me feel a little bit better, but I was still riddled with a level of imposter syndrome because I was like, I never thought about grad school before this. It's still some chemistry classes that I didn't get to take as an undergrad. And I, and I really thought that that would hold me back when I got there. One yeah. of them being inorganic chemistry. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was the one class I did not get to take um, yeah. that in quant, which is interesting okay, because yeah. I'm an analytical yeah. chemist. But that was what scared me the most um, when I transitioned was would I be able to succeed here because there were still things that I felt that was lacking. Hmm. But all in all, it, it was a rather smooth transition because the first year at LSU, we did classwork. So that was easy for me to go through the classwork. But when it came down to getting into the lab, I really, really stuck behind the senior students in my group to make sure I understood exactly what I was doing and that I got trained on every single thing that I could, especially as it related to the research that I was going to be doing. Mm. And then, so with your group, how'd you go about picking your group then? And then for anybody out there, we talking about group as far as what's your advisor group, right? Who you're going to do your research for. How'd you go about picking that? So I had a list of labs that I was considering joining because I liked their research. And mm -hmm. so I went and I met with the advisor and I discussed, you know, what I wanted to see in my future at that time, what I saw myself doing and how I thought that the work that their lab was doing aligned with that. But yeah. I also talk to the people that work with them because there's a chance you can go in and the advisor tells you one thing, but everyone in their lab is miserable. Yeah. And I didn't want to be miserable. I already was coming in with no lab experience. So I didn't want to join a lab where making sure that I had all of those skills would hinder me in some way because no one wanted to train me or no one was willing to work with me. So that was yeah. a big factor in me joining a group. And also just were the people personable? Could I learn some type of skills that were transferable? Like I wanted to do more than just get into the lab. You know, yeah. I needed to know how to write because we have to publish. I needed mm -hmm. to know how to give an oral presentation about scientific information because that mm -hmm. was something that I really hadn't done before. So yeah. I wanted a lab that had different la layers of support. Yeah. And aside from that, I needed to join a lab that had funding because mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure that if I, for some reason, came off of my fellowship, can my research advisor support me? Or will yeah. I be TAing? Or how long is he? am I expected to TA? So yeah. those are questions that I asked. And ultimately, it led me to joining the group that I ended up in. Yeah. And, and specifically in that group, um, can you tell the people what type of research you were doing in that group? Yes. So our group was really interdisciplinary. We had synthetic chemists, we had hardcore analytical chemists, and we had biochemists. Now, we've already established that I was a biochem major for a reason other than loving biochemistry. Yeah. But 
I went into my lab and my research was more focused on cancer, more particularly studying an enzyme that's overexpressed in those cancer cells and seeing if we could actually model our imaging probes. So we, our group wanted to detect cancer. We developed these probes that can go into cancer cells. If they interact with that certain enzyme, they would fluoresce and you can visualize that using fluorescence microscopy. So my role in that research was essentially to study several different types of ovarian cancer cells to see if they not only express that pro that protein or enzyme and then to see if I could image the uptake of our probe based on that expression of that specific that specific enzyme. Hmm. And then it molded over and it morphed into something where I was then studying whether or not those cancer cells could form tumorigenic or tumor mimics outside of being in some animal cells or animal bodies, so without mice, so in vitro is yeah. what I was doing. I was growing tumorigenic cells and I was studying then the uptake of the probes again, but also whether or not the other proteins that those cells express were influencing their ability to form those tumor mimics. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot more cancer biology than I was expecting in a chemistry yeah. lab. Um, yeah. But it was interesting research at the time yeah. and it definitely kept me busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could know because that's a lot <laughs> with the cancer biology and all that. <laughs> Uh, so how'd you even, you right, you had this biochem background, you get in this lab, right? And how was that transition, like that first year of just doing research, hardcore? Was it a hard transition to where I'm pretty sure you had to learn the different cells, but also the instruments? You mentioned you was learning all types of different instruments that I know you have to use for that type of research. So was that a hard transition? Like how was that, you know, overcoming that uh overall well it wasn't necessarily a hard transition it was more of a lot of things at one time for instance i had to learn how to culture the cells to keep them alive so that i could do anything to them but yeah. then on the other side of that i had to learn all of these different biochemical techniques so you have microscopy in there but you also have things like western blotting you're going mm -hmm. into pcr and you're going to all these things that we don't generally see in a chemistry lab and then mm -hmm. you add in the things that you do see in the chemistry lab like uv's spectroscopy and then you have fluorescent spectroscopy so enzyme assays things that were getting tossed in and what i did was to overcome all of that was essentially i made a guidebook for how to run different assays what to do to culture cells what to do if i wanted to grow my tumor mimics and i made that and over time it, it became this manual that students who started after me that wanted to do work in the cell lab or wanted to use the microscopes or anything else that I was doing could just follow that so that we all had a guide. Because at that point, we were a chemistry lab and I was diving deeper and deeper into this biochemical type research. Yeah. Yeah. And and let's just let's rewind that because, you know, that was that was pretty big what you did there. You know what I'm saying? You basically made the manual for your lab, right? To where now you got yeah. other people behind you using that same manual, even today. I mean, still people still using that. So it's how that was that was smart on your end to do that. Um, but what did did your advisor appreciate that or like because to be honest, I feel like people think that the advisor is definitely in the lab in a way, but it's really grad students who like peer to peer 
and our rations of how we're learning. So was your advisor appreciative of that or what? how about your fellow students? How, how did everybody take that in when, when you came up with this huge manual, right, of all these uh, different techniques? I think everyone was really appreciative of it. It was floating around our lab a lot. My advisor definitely appreciated it because he didn't really do any of the type of research that we were doing. He was never in the lab. He was knowledgeable about what we were doing. But as far as actually going in and culturing sales, I don't think he's ever done that before. Um, So he definitely appreciated it, Um, definitely sent more students my way when the time comes to go over and get that training and get that experience. Um, So it definitely helped and it followed me for a good bit um, after we graduated or after I graduated um, because people still reach out if they need it. Still need that help with everything. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. And, and, and so now that you uh, you went from high school undergrad, right, and then graduate school, uh, you ultimately defended, got your PhD, and now the next move, and then this is always feel like that last year when you're writing that dissertation, you're like, oh my God, you know, we're so focused on just trying to finish the dissertation, but then we got to remember, oh my God, I'm about to leave. I'm about to leave. What am I about to do next? So you went from wanting to go med school, but then you ultimately realized that wasn't for you. But when did you realize, like, when, did you have a spark as far as what you were trying to do, like ultimately getting to where you are? Like, explain that process as far as your thoughts during that last year in grad school. I'll start from the beginning of the first year because okay. my story gets a little murky. So I started graduate school and I knew firsthand I did not want to teach. I did not want to be anyone's professor. That was not a passion of mine. I never had a passion for teaching. Yeah. Um, I wanted to go into industry okay. or work in a government lab. That was my plan. And it yeah. was like the more I worked with organizations like Nobache and I went off and I tutored places and I was helping more with kids in the community, I started gravitating more towards academia towards the end. So I went through and I sat in workshops for first year professors before I graduated. Luckily, it's good to have mentors that are in high places that can get you into those things. I attended a future faculty workshop just to get some insight of what it would be like to be into academia because it wasn't something that I had thought about before. Yeah. And then ultimately, I accepted my postdoc, which was, again, it was a teaching postdoc, which is a completely different ballpark for me because I did not get formal teaching experience as a graduate student. So Mm -hmm. I didn't TA, I didn't go and take over my advisor's lecture one day and teach a class or anything like that. So this was really my first shot at it. And when I got there, it was a very rewarding experience. Um, It gives you a lot of insight into what it's like to actually be a faculty member. Hmm. Um, And I enjoyed it. But what it told me was what I said when I started grad school was still true. I did not want to teach. But I did want a career that was academia adjacent. So when Mm -hmm. I was looking for jobs, I started looking more so into nonprofits. And as you know, ACS is a nonprofit, although it's ran like a corporation. But that's a story for another day. It is a nonprofit. So ACS stands for? The American Chemical Society. Okay, okay, okay. American Chemical Society. 
making sure, just making sure. <laughs> yes. Um, so when I got my job at ACS, I'm in the education division. So still thinking about students, still thinking about graduate students, still thinking about postdocs and how I can assist them in navigating through graduate school and navigating through their postdocs and ultimately deciding on where they want to go after. And mm -hmm. that was interesting to me because that was one of the biggest things that I struggled with. That last year of graduate school is an eye opener, especially when you're looking for a job, because it is mm -hmm. the one thing that we do not get any type of training on as graduate students. Exactly. And then exactly. I get this role here at the American Chemical Society that every freaking chemist knows about. And they have all of these sectors that do all of these different workshops for graduate students, for postdocs, things that I had never heard about before. And yeah. so now I'm just making it my business that while I'm in this road to help out as much as I can and to offer as much support as I can, because mm -hmm. I know what it's like to get to that final point and not know what you're going to do next. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I guess let, let's talk about academia. You know, you got your background. You got you got definitely experience in there. And even at ACS, you're getting even more experience. So overall, I guess give me like two pros and two cons for academia. That that's you experienced right so far overall that you could like somebody considering this. What's what is something that you would tell them? You have autonomy in academia. So okay. how you teach your class and what you, material you want to present, especially when you get into more of those special topics courses, um, how you teach your class, the way you interact with your students is completely up to you. So okay. no one else can come in and tell you, oh, no, this isn't the way you teach this topic because that's your class. And I definitely like having complete control over what my students were being exposed to as long as it met the guidelines because Radford was an ACS certified institution. So we did have certain objectives that we needed to meet. But other than that, the way I taught those was completely up to me. So that's definitely one pro. And the second pro was the interactions with the students themselves. You meet so many different students and you learn about their backgrounds, the things that they're struggling with, things that you wouldn't imagine other students are going through, whether yeah. it be because you didn't experience it or they didn't talk about it as much when you were a student. So yeah. those were two very rewarding things about my job. Yeah. Now, two cons. Okay, okay. One of them being that the work doesn't stop once lecture is over. So especially in my case, I was at a PUI, so a predominantly undergraduate institution. So I not only taught my classes, I taught all of my labs. And I was responsible. I didn't have TAs like we would have at an R1. So all of my grading fell on me. Yeah. All of my student correspondence fell on me. If mm -hmm. people, all of that was just on me. Mm -hmm. And that can be a lot. It can be definitely overwhelming, especially for someone coming from my background who hadn't taught before. So my first semester, I'm teaching a class of about 80 students and I'm expected to cultivate these relationships with them, to teach them, to help them in whatever way I possibly can. And some of the things that were brought to me weren't things that I was actually qualified to help them with. So I had to know where to point them. And that can be overwhelming. Mm -hmm. The second part about academia um, well, actually, I'm going to add two more in here. The All second right. part is it's a lot of politics involved in academia. Okay. Like there are politics in every job, 
but you have senior faculty, you have your mid-level faculty, you have your your new faculty. And I, in my case, I was a postdoc because that was my role there. I knew I was a postdoc, but on paper, I'm listed as a first year assistant professor there. Yeah. But it was my postdoc. And you can see the different dynamics and how they play out when you're in department meetings and who's talking most and who's talking the least who wants to try this new pedagogy when it comes to teaching and who's shooting it down because it doesn't really help so seeing that that power struggle was off-putting to me watching people who wanted to get tenure not get tenure despite being there 10 years with X amount of publications and bringing in this funding and they still get passed over. I literally watched someone who worked at my university for 20 years in a different department leave because she got passed over several times for the chair position of that department. And she ended up leaving the university altogether and taking that exact role somewhere else. So Mm -hmm. a lot of of politics come into play in academia. And lastly, as a black faculty member at almost any institution, um, I can't speak for how it would be at an HBCU because I didn't attend one, but at all of my undergraduate institutions, I didn't see many faculty members that looked like me, Yeah. especially in STEM. Mm -hmm. And because of that, when my students saw me, students who looked like me specifically saw me, they gravitated to me more. Yeah. And that is a good thing because I liked it. I was glad that they were coming, but it's also the most overwhelming thing because everyone wants to meet with you and talk to you about things. And it kind of rubs some of the faculty members the wrong way because they wanted to know what was it that I was saying that was making the African-American students talk to me and what could they do so that the African-American students would talk to them. And I, you know, how do you say they're talking to me because I'm black? Yeah, because okay. I'm the only black person in the department. Yeah. Um, I'm closer to them in age. Yeah, I actually talk to them. Yeah, um, you know yeah. there are a lot of reasons why they're talking to me or why yeah. they're comfortable with me. Yeah, and it's it's a lot when they want you to be the voice for what those students need so that they be more open to other faculty. And then I ask, well, what are you doing already that makes you think that they're not open to you? Like what's going on in your classroom, but who really wants advice from a first year faculty member who's actually a postdoc, mm. but still in the department voting on things the same way any other faculty member would. So it was definitely off-putting for me and very mm. disappointing, um, especially when I ran into students who didn't feel like they were being serviced yeah. or being given as much help outside of my class because they would come to me and unload their issues with other professors yeah. and you know it was it was a lot because yeah yeah, yeah. no and, and i definitely uh i definitely understand that i definitely see that um just because you know it, it's and then this is the the one thing about academia that i feel like nobody talks about is diversity we, we always focus on the diversity of the student population which is very very key and very important we want more underrepresented uh, communities in STEM. That's the whole goal, the whole goal of all of this. But the thing that's not being talked about is there's no diversity in the academia portion at all. Like it's hard for a student to get in there. Okay, they're in there and then they don't see anybody that looks like them, you know? 
And, you know, we could definitely talk about the reason why at another time, because, you know, there's a reason why guys is like this. Um, they're not going to say it out there, but, you know, it's kind of buddy, buddy in academia, to be real. Um, but it, that's something that should definitely be pushed in academia because it's a shame. Uh, just how you said you were the only black faculty there. Very similar uh, situation in my case. Um, so it's, it's just awkward in ways because they wonder why, but they it's, it's hard that they just don't see it, you know. And some, sometimes they choose not to see it. Sometimes others do. And then they realize how can we move forward? Um, so I, I definitely can relate to that. Um, and then I guess in, in your, at your population, uh, when you were teaching, would you say your, your students were diverse? Did you say that you had a lot of underrepresented uh, communities there or, where, or how was it lining up uh, in your mind? Well, being that I came from larger institutions where I went for undergraduate and graduate school, I did see a lot more students of color. Mm -hmm. But since I was at a small institution, in a small area of Virginia, when I yeah. got there, I didn't expect to see a lot of black students. And I didn't. In my class, my first year, I maybe had 10 or 12, between 10 or yeah. 12 uh, yeah. black students. I may have had one or two Asian students. Um, so it was a very small community of minority students. So I think now it's maybe somewhere between 11 and 13 percent minoritized students at Radford. So this is like all minorities. Um, and that's it. So it was not that diverse. Um, a lot of the students would probably feel alienated in their classes or they have their, their groups that they knew that they could hang with. Yeah. And I saw it even without people telling me I could see it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So and, it was definitely not many. Okay. Okay. And then I guess just to ask you this, uh, as far as, I guess, what, it, what do you think is the reason why that is the case? You know, with not that being too many underrepresented communities in STEM, right? Because I, I feel like even at undergrad, that it was that similar experience, but I don't know you uh but grad school was kind of in the same place right so where it's like it's not that many but you know it is very it's diverse but then it's diverse and separated at the same time so what what, what was your take be on that i would say a lot of things come into play um especially in stem if we're taking speaking just in stem in general mm -hmm. um everybody thinks science is hard mm. and it, at first, and it, it's a shift. The shift always happens when the students get to high school or is it mid-middle school where that shift where girls are usually doing really good in math and science and then suddenly the guys take over in math and it kind of continues and you see more and more girls drifting away from it. So we see a lot of that. And I think it has a lot to do with the way we're teaching and what we're actually showing them. It definitely has a lot to do with representation. Um, in my case, my high school, my science teachers were all black except for one of them. And okay. so the people I took chemistry with, it was a black man. Um, mm. My other teachers that taught me math, they were women. So mm. okay. I was just in a district where I saw that. And I wasn't in the best school district. I'm from Mississippi. I wasn't in the best school district. But the teachers that I had held my interest and made me interested in it. But mm. I noticed that even then, those populations of students that got that same level of interest were still small. Mm. And I think it follows you into undergrad. 
And then when you get there, people are coming in with that same like dream that I had. I'm going to be a medical doctor. I'm going to be a nurse. I'm going to be a pharmacist. And they're either going to go that route and stay steadfast and finish it, or yeah. they're going to slowly fall off and it's usually because they've taken a class and they didn't get that support so automatically that class is is hard they don't want to do it anymore they're going to switch majors and do something else or maybe they found something that they really loved yeah. but i think it has a lot to do with representation and and the type of aid that we're giving to students mm -hmm. because of what they look like because there are some students who've told me they go and talk to professors who won't give them the same advice that they're giving other students that don't look like them. So okay. um, a lot plays a role in that. And I think over time, you know, if you're not being supported and appreciated and then it turns into you not really doing well in those courses, you're going to leave it alone and go try to do something else. Yeah. And our numbers are getting lower because we're still at what, 2%? Now, once again, you want to make sure that you hit that subscribe button and Follow us for the latest episodes on our podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to leave a review as well as comment below what you want to hear us talk about next. At the end of the day, everybody, we're just here to help. We want to spread our vision of increasing STEM participation from underrepresented communities 